We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finishing up an FFPC main event draft from the 109. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his fantastic work over at Rotoviz. And we are in the middle of a draft. We started at the 109. We're implementing some of the strategies we have talked about recently, starting wide receiver, wide receiver, then going away from the position through the dead zone and hitting it on the backside. So far, we have hit Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Ramondre Stevenson, Brees Hall, Kyle Pitts, James Cook, and DeAndre Swift. All through the dead zone, no receivers there. Our wide receiver three didn't come until the eighth round. Traylon Burks, Quentin Johnston, Rashad Bateman. We took Tua Tagovailoa as our QB1. And then Jamison Williams in round 12 to close the first episode. We're going to jump back in here to finish this build and then talk through what we like about it towards the end of this part two episode. At this point, I start to get into, in the way that I updated my rankings, and I'm not confident in this, but I start to get into some of the Colts guys, like Evan Hull, Ty Chandler, Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, sighting in my rankings <laughs> coming up pretty quick. What kind of names are you uh, looking at here? Oh, you have uh, Jared Goff. That's right. We have Amon Ra and Jamison Williams now. I'm very comfortable pulling the trigger there and having both Goff and Tua as our QBs. And there are other QBs still there to where, I mean, I guess I would kind of not expect him to go, but we don't have, I mean, this, the, the board got really flat after the middle of the 13 there to where, I mean, there's just, there's nobody. I mean, you could take an Irv Smith, you could take a Hunter Henry. I don't think a Hunter Henry pick is a bad pick here. I was checking to see where he is gone the last couple of days but mayor's still 15. there i think there's there's a few options on the way back at tight end so you want to make Colts sure we just actually get... went let's take yeah. off so we do have the two of golf combo i i do like that and I, I like like you said the um thursday night game we get the week one look right we have a deep roster now so it'll be nice that we get golf and almond raw if for some reason all that goes poorly for them in week one we will not have to play those guys. But um, if Goff goes and throws for four touchdowns, then we'll play him in week one, and, and we'll still have Tua for the future games. And we have Tua stacked with Waddle as well. So, I mean, we're in a good spot. Yeah, and, I mean, these things can change, you know, 
literally in an instant, but it does not look like the Chiefs will have Chris Jones for week one. I mean, that could be a massive shootout. That's that's the way that I'm hearing it too. Like he might be out for a, a little while, actually. So not necessarily even for this next pick, but some other names I want to throw out to you. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, I think, is an interesting deep stash. We talked about you know the obstacles that maybe a Rasheed Rice is going to face. I think that Justin Ross is still an interesting deep stash. the The package stuff did bother me, and yet at the same time. I do think that if those guys are simply better and they're getting very little from MVS again, and you're talking like week six, week seven, I guess I don't think it's just 15, 16, 17 reality playoffs. I think those guys are just too much better than the starters for Rice and Ross not to be a big part of it by, you know, say week seven, week eight. So again, just for kind of stash purposes a little bit later, some names that that I find appealing. That's certainly a... A path you could see, especially for Rice. Ross is is a tricky one. Where I mean, just health permitting, you know, we don't we don't know how far they're going to push him. I think even if he does a lot of really good stuff, the Chiefs just in the last couple of regular seasons have not felt like a team that cares that much about the regular season in terms of like pushing their best players out there. I think they they would hold him back, and then he would have an awesome playoffs, you know. Sean, the only tight end that goes is Tyler Conklin. We are back on the clock. I do like tight end idea, unless you want to go receiver. Did you want to go receiver here? Did you want to go Hyatt? We do have six now. I kind of like – we're getting thin at tight end. I kind of like – So Hyatt is going in 14. I, I think the better pick there is just I really think people want Wondale on all of their rosters. And for whatever reason, that has not been something that has been caught on with drafters. Yeah, maybe it's just that I'm completely that. wrong about it. <laughs> so that's something to keep in mind too. Uh, Team five here, Sean does not have a tight end. They're going to start hammering it late, probably here at fourteen and fifteen. I don't know that any of these guys are going to make it back to us at tight end. Do you like Henry the most? You have him at the top, or do you like Mayer? Well, Mayer probably comes has a better chance. Hunter Henry's going to let's go, Hunter Henry. Yeah, yeah, you know I like him. So, I think he's a good pairing with Pitts as well, just as sort of a stability play. Yeah, definitely. And I've written in multiple articles, and in some ways I think this one actually does work a little bit for best ball. For, for best ball, you want both that touchdown upside and you want sort of that stability in your roster where if you have some of the you know extremely volatile guys, someone like a Hunter Henry is just massively undervalued. And... <sighs> If this were actually going to be the case, I do think he would have started to get pushed up a little bit. But at this point, it's hard for me to see him as anything other than not the tight end leader, but the overall leader in fantasy scoring from that receiving group overall, which I just it makes it very hard not to pick in round 14 in tight end premium. Another note from my write-up, as you mentioned, I did a, I did a full team-by-team write-up on, on Stealing Signals. I look, just looking at the cut down to 53-man rosters and, and really trying to highlight um, things that might go overlooked a little bit in the ways that teams cut down. The Patriots very famously cut down to one quarterback. They also cut down to only two tight ends, Henry and Gesicki, also only two running backs, uh, Ramondre and Zeke. They did that to carry some extra offensive linemen. They're obviously not going to only hold two running backs and only hold two tight ends all year. They did actually claim Matt Corral, who might end up being their backup all year. 
they held, um, I think, some extra defenders as well with this extra roster space. But the point is, they they are currently right now, as we're recording this, only you know expected to have Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki out there. And if everything we hear about Mike Kosicki not being able to play in line and not being able to block and basically being this big receiver is true, then Hunter Henry has to play every single snap. <laughs> is what it comes down to. <laughs> He's got to play quite a bit. So you had mentioned Evan Hull. He's a name that I like. I, he's one I also struggle with because I think that the situation there with the Colts is getting so bleak. And I don't I do know think, where I feel comfortable drafting him. Go ahead. I agree with that. But one thing I wrote about with them today, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, is like almost certainly – whichever Colts back plays the most snaps in week one is going to lead waiver. I mean, not necessarily we lead waiver wire columns, but it's going to be heavily discussed in waiver wire columns after week one. One of the things that I, so he's going to jump into the zero RB list in the update, which depending on when this show releases, will hopefully be out for listeners. But I did have some positive notes for Zach Moss there. Cause I think that he actually gets, sort of overly beaten down despite having some pluses in the metrics that for other backs people fall all over. I mean, you think about, and this isn't to say that um, David Montgomery is not a good player or shouldn't be going relatively early, but I mean, David Montgomery went in the middle of the sixth round. I mean, he and Zach Moss actually have quite a bit of similarity. So if you need a player, then I think Zach Moss possibly gets in there. I think this is possibly a, a very, you know, mixed backfield where the offense is bad and then they rotate guys to where you don't get anything out of it. But Evan Hull is the sort of fun player. Although again, I mean, he really has kind of that profile that is like very interesting without quite being good enough in any particular area. He's got the try hard element, which I mean, we really like, and yet at the same time, maybe isn't the one that really gets it done for you. So I guess the contrast for me is that I think that Sean Tucker is an absolutely must draft on every single team. And, you know, I don't want to draft him earlier than I need to. And yet I also don't want to miss on him. Where, where's your thought on him as it relates to how we should be prioritizing these running backs and, and who to take first. And if that's the position we need and how we do this um, couple of rounds. You had a whole lot of interesting thoughts there, and then you very definitively said that you think one of those players is a bus draft on every single team. So for me, the priority would be the guy that the zero RB guy said is a bus draft on every team. Immediately in my head, I went, man, I almost took him in the last round of my Mastiff. Why do I not got more Sean Tucker so far? I mean, I think that's the priority at this point, Sean. <laughs> the listeners did the same thing. They went, ah, crap, why don't I have more Sean Tucker? Well, I mean... They'll probably be like after week one. Like, thank goodness we didn't listen to that. The other interesting note I just moved here, Sean Tucker ahead of Clyde Edwards Delaire in my rankings while we're talking. <laughs> I am confident he's better than Clyde Edwards Delaire. Whether that translates will be another question. Kenny Pickett did go. I and we got two pretty good QBs. I guess I'm still sort of attached to this idea of taking more quarterbacks. So if certain guys fall, I like I like the three QBs still. But we are up. Jalen Hyatt came back, which we weren't necessarily expecting. Michael Mayer is a target for us. We want both Sean Tucker and Evan Hall. I mean, this is exciting because when you're around 15 and you got a lot of guys you like, I mean, that's that's when a main event gets really fun. I don't know where to go. Honestly, like, uh, 
I didn't expect all those guys to come back. I, I guess I'm not super high on Hyatt, but we also, I mean, we have six receivers and one of them suspended for six weeks. And honestly, might not even play much when he gets back, the way his team talked about him all offseason. <laughs> Jameson Williams is not a guy to bank on to be a... So, I mean, maybe it's Hyatt, but with our four running backs, maybe a fifth makes sense. I would also be totally fine with the third tight end. It seems like we have a... Tucker's the guy that you wrote. Let's just take Tucker. So we'll do that. And that gives us, I think... So That's I don't the guy we don't want to lose. Right. I, and I don't mean that for that to close us off to Evan Hall either, because as you mentioned... You know, you'd hate to pass him here at a great price and then, like, you know, bid 300 for him after week one. Uh, but we are probably at a point where we don't necessarily need another running back now. So if we don't get yeah, one, I, don't, I think we're okay. I don't think we need to make that. But interestingly, Deion Jackson went in the 12th round in this draft. Zach Moss goes here in the 15th right after we take Tucker. Hole's going to be the last of the three that goes. I do think he's the least likely to lead the team in snaps in week one, that, that Moss and Deion Jackson are very – pretty clearly ahead of them but that hole is the one that sort of if he did lead in snaps in week one you'd, you'd get the most excited about and be like okay well now we kind of do have to bid on this guy um but we have too many options here i think right now to, to make that bet talker's another one that could just play a lot in week one as you noted and, and you just said we have to take him in every single draft so <laughs> i'm glad we you got think- him instead well, I was about to say, do you think that Deuce Vaughn is a similar play? Obviously, he's not. You have Tony Pollard ensconced there as the star. That offense, though, is going to be much more effective, and their backup group is really weak. It's probably the weakest group of, if you take the Colts out and all the things that they've done, it's probably the weakest depth chart behind the starter, which is one of the reasons that Tony Pollard has gotten so expensive and so trendy. Is he somebody we would consider not here, but as we're finishing the team out? Um, Maybe. I, th- I think as we get back to this pick, I agree with you on Jalen Hyatt. I prefer to have Wandale, who we can probably get even cheaper. I'm kind of thinking Michael Mayer here. But but, what are your thoughts on Deuce Vaughn? I think, I think I have a hard time envisioning him actually getting enough work that even if like Pollard went down, that they would they would keep him as like a change of pace and, and specific package guy and use like a Rico Dowdle a lot more. I, I even wrote up in the in the fifty three man cutdown thing that you know you could probably leave a candle on for Ronald Jones for the reasons you just said that like it's a really poor backup situation. Sam Howell goes here, so that kind of takes our favorite potential option to go to a three QB build off the board as well. I think. Mayor or Hyatt is probably my preferred. Der- oh, oh, Wandell's still there. Let's push receiver and see if we can get Wandell on the way back or Justin Ross or Hyatt. You have all of them in the queue. I think they're all interesting plays. I think let's just take our tight end. So, I mean, it's probably still a case of more likely than not that Michael Mayer does nothing, but his ADP doesn't remotely price in the upside that he has. And I mean, I, I'm very intrigued by Luke Musgrave. I think that that whole deal is going to be very interesting. It certainly looks right now like Jordan Love is set to get out there and, and actually play pretty well in his first real chance to be the starter. And I mean, they don't have a ton of competition there, but from a more global perspective, and Michael Mayer was an elite prospect 
and also a priority pick by the Raiders. There are just a lot of guys who go ahead of him in these drafts. And I think about someone like a Jake Ferguson too, where, you know, Taysom Hill goes in the 14th in this. Any of the non-stars at tight end, they're probably not actually going to do much for you. But that's, I think, all the more reason to try and get somebody who could be really, really good. Yeah, I love the way our tight end room came together, even though we passed on the Porter for Bateman. I, I think I'm content with that decision as well. As much as I like LaPorta, I've been taking a lot of him. Pitts, Hunter Henry, Michael Mayer, pretty interesting tight end room. We get Sean Tucker as the running back five, a guy you said needs to be drafted. In every draft, got him behind Ramondre Stevenson, Brees Hall, James Cook, and DeAndre Swift. That makes for a really nice five at running back. Our receivers, Amon Ra, St. Brown, Jalen Waddell, Traylon Burks, Quinn Johnson, Rashad Bateman, and then Jamison Williams talked about how he makes a lot of sense as the wide receiver six on this build in particular, where we don't really need to start him early. Even if we have some issues at receiver, we have a lot of running back firepower to help fill the flex. So technically, would only really need to start two receivers, even in a worst case scenario. I mean, you could have a lot of issues at running back and receiver. Obviously, we are built to, to withstand some of that, but it can get really bad, and hopefully it doesn't. <laughs> Our other teams have been. You know, the Jonathan Taylor stuff and, and things have happened, so you never know. But you like how that receiver room fits together with this team as well. And then Tua and Goff as our two quarterbacks. It's not the most exciting quarterback room ever, but they are stacked with our top two receivers in Amon Ra and Waddle. It's two offenses you want to have pieces of. I actually think Tua is one of the more exciting quarterbacks. Jamison adds to that golf situation where it's sort of a double stack. If you have an Amon Ra, great season, and then he misses time late, and Jamison, you know, kind of needs to come on for them. They're in a playoff hunt. You might be looking at a golf Jamison, you know, starting situation in the shootout as, you know, a scenario where Amon Ra was still a very helpful piece to get you to the shootout and, and get you there. But, you know, things happen sometimes. Guys do a lot to get you – long way into the season but then maybe don't I mean, one of the interesting things with ffpc you have the 11 week regular season and you have the or 12 week and then you have weeks 13 and 14 are your league playoffs and so if you clinch after the 12 weeks which two teams do you then have two games where you're trying to win your league playoffs but you already clinched to the to the shootout for weeks 15 to 17 so in, in a lot of ways in weeks 13 and 14 you're just like nobody get hurt right you just want everyone to stay healthy for 15 to 17 but it can happen. Guys can go down in that stretch. There's that gap there. Sean, all of Hyatt, Wondell Robinson, and Justin Ross went. So I lied to you. I said one of them would come back. They didn't. And they didn't even get close. We're still five picks away. Yeah, it's too bad that, <laughs> that we're in a draft where Wondell went. I mean, I do now have an absurd amount of Wondell. And so maybe not having him on one team makes some sense. But again, in a, in a redraft environment specifically, there is no downside to rostering someone like Wondell Robinson for the first two or three weeks <laughs> because the upside by the time you need to start him is so immense. Evan Hall has come back, though. We're three picks away there. Trey McBride, Deuce Vaughn. Another name that you know maybe we talk about after the picks come through here, but I, I remain a fan of and intrigued by the fact that the Rams didn't cut Zach Evans. And as long as they haven't cut him, it feels like there's a shot there. 
But they kept four running backs. They kept Ronnie Rivers as well. It's not like they went. Right. They didn't they show have... clear preference for him by any stretch. Yeah, true. But once they kept those other guys, I thought that maybe, they, again, he would get cut, but he did not. I don't even know what to do here, Sean. So we get all the way back to the to our pick. Evan Hull still there. Trey McBride came all the way back around as a potential fourth tight end to get a look at him in week one. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, several other running backs. You've put Chris Evans into the queue as well. Curtis Samuel is a wide receiver that we talk about sometimes. Probably better for best ball than, than a play here. Not really a viable upside swing as your wide receiver seven necessarily. What's your preference here? I, this is maybe going to sound weird, but I almost want to just take Trey McBride as a blocking move because he's just not someone you want to let a different team have. Let's do it. I think we're in – like I was almost going to start talking about kickers and defenses, but there's actually been – Two, four, six, eight, nine Ds off the board, and Justin Tucker's gone, which is the only kicker that I would even really care to take at this point. It's and we're at seventeen oh nine. We still have the eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth. It is a draft where a lot of these guys have gone early, which is part of why a lot of our targets have have continued to linger here into these rounds. Yeah, I I wouldn't be against. It's kind of funny because since we at least have a, a tiny little preference for maybe streaming the kicker, I mean, the defense anyway, that, I mean, Bucker, especially if you can do some weird stuff after that first Thursday night game, and then Evan McPherson, those guys I think are extremely appealing, more so than defenses are. I agree. And Evan Holt did go on the turn after we took McBride. So all the Colts backs are gone. I mean, if you want to take Deuce Vaughn, I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, you were just kind of asking what my thoughts were. I I'm I'm curious. Do you do you think that he has paths to actual workload? I I guess I think that he's going to be like a kind of gimmicky player. He's very small. And I I know Rico Dattle is not good in a lot of those things, but like they're they he has size, and I think they're gonna. I mean, especially Mike McCarthy is such an old school football guy. I think they're going to be like, this is his role. I don't. I think Vaughn's going to get a couple of interesting touches a, a game early, but that Dowdle's probably going to be the more clear number two and actually get used a little bit in some short yardage stuff and some banger situations. Um, and then if something were to happen to Pollard, that his role would expand more or Ronald Jones would actually potentially factor in before Vaughn would get anything more than like eight touches. But maybe I'm just not being creative enough. No, I think those are, are big concerns. And it's one of the reasons why I basically have zero of him and haven't really, I think, given him in some ways the credit that he deserves. Blair Andrews loves him and in part because he's just really good. Yeah. And so at a certain point, I mean, you can be so good that it does mitigate some of the size issues. And I don't think that the rest of their guys, you can really apply that uh, modifier to. So, I think he's interesting from that perspective. I do he said some. He had some incredible production numbers in college, right? Yeah. If you want to take him, we can definitely take him, or we can go Butker. I think those are our options here in in eighteen. Yeah, I I think it's pretty. For me, it's pretty clear Butker. If you're good with that. Yeah, let's do it. We might even get Vaughn back. He's a guy that sometimes goes, but sometimes doesn't even go at all. So we'll see what happens there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And so we're going to speed ahead here for a second. After the Harrison Butker pick, I had to step away for a quick moment. Sean finished our last two picks. Our draft is, is over in, in real time. Deuce Vaughn actually went one pick after Harrison Butker, so he did not make it back. Sean went with the three QB strategy, took Desmond Ritter in the 19th, grabbed Minnesota's defense in the 20th. So the final roster was Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddell, Ramondre Stevenson, Brees Hall, Kyle Pitts, James Cook, DeAndre Swift. So five straight picks from round three to round seven that were non-receivers after, after the receiver-receiver start. And then three more receivers, Traylon Burks, Quentin Johnston, and Rashad Bateman, Tua Tagovailoa in the 11th, and then Jamison Williams in the 12th. So after that five-round stretch with no receivers, we went receivers in four of the next five. And then Jared Goff, Hunter Henry, Sean Tucker, Michael Mayer, Trey McBride, several receivers late. Harrison Bucker, Desmond Ritter, and the mini defense. So we end up with three quarterbacks. We end up with four tight ends, only five running backs, and only six receivers in the end. But we took nothing but running backs and receivers with the exception of Kyle Pitts through the first 10 rounds and really loaded up early. That's what the goal was with these types of teams that we talked about potentially hitting a lot of the running back value. We get Ramondre, Brees, James Cook, and Swift. We've talked through this on, on recent episodes, Sean. And I think we executed it really well here. I love how this team looks. Kind of at the end there, you were gone. You can't trust me not to take that third quarterback when I am left <laughs> alone to my own devices. I was looking at it there. As you mentioned, Deuce Vaughn went one pick after we selected Harrison Butker. 
And then Chris Evans did go three picks before it got back to us. So the two names I was actually looking at and decided not to pull the trigger on it for us there were DJ Chark, who I still actually like to be the leading receiver for the Panthers. And so you say, well, you probably should have drafted him in round 19 then. You had made a good pitch for Jonathan Mingo. I think that is interesting. I think I might be like too far down on Mingo because I mean, one of the things that (laughs) there are going to be different viewpoints on this, but when someone has a profile like Mingo's where, and I think you could say similar things for Rasheed Rice, where it really is reliant on athleticism and final year production. Then when you go watch the highlights and the player does not pop in his like best plays of his collegiate career, that does worry me a little bit. Now you mentioned that Bryce Young has done some positive things. I was going to be very open to taking him in that next round as he, as we came back, but he actually did go two spots ahead of Jared Goff. So anybody who was wondering kind of where that portion of the discussion disappeared to, it was because he didn't get back to us. So Chark was there. I did pass on him. The other one was Curtis Samuel and passed on him. One of the things with Ritter, and there is a pretty good argument that this actually doesn't come into play much at all when you know you are really trying to maximize your own roster. The other 11 teams don't matter as much. I certainly would never recommend that you make a pick like in the single-digit rounds just to mess with somebody else. I mean, you're trying to maximize your roster. But given what I see as really high upside for both Trey McBride and Desmond Ritter, along with absolutely no floor, I think it makes sense to stash those guys if you don't have another player that you really want. And in neither of those cases did we have it. The other thing with Ritter as I was thinking about it is we do have Kyle Pitts. And so, you know, quarterbacks get hurt along with other positions. They certainly got hurt a lot in 2022, One of the things that we ran into in our main events and our general FFPC drafts that was very frustrating is that we had (laughs) Trey Lance go down early, go down at the beginning of the game, which cost us potential for those points, but then also, you know, wreaked some havoc with our QB depth charts. This gives another guy we can look at. And if Pitts hits, (laughs) I do actually like Ritter to hit. We probably won't end up keeping those three guys since we did get Tua and we think that he's got a very high upside. But that was kind of the consideration there at the end of the draft. And then just you know a tiny little note that probably no one cares about. I was hoping the Jaguars would get back to us because they face Anthony Richardson and the suddenly Jonathan Taylorless Colts in week one. They did not. So we take the Minnesota Vikings defense in round 20. They get to face Baker Mayfield, who... We know likes to throw a lot of passes into the offensive line. Maybe you get a, a tipped pick six. Certainly, we don't expect the Buccaneers to be good on offense, but I also think they'll be aggressive trailing. They're not just going to give up. Garbage time could be kind of interesting in those games from a defensive perspective. So that was kind of the, the final thoughts there. But I, this is a very unique team for us, but I love it. Yeah, I think all the extra tight ends, Kibis, you mentioned the targets not being there. It was an interesting draft late when, you know, Wandale went and Jalen Hyatt went and Justin Ross went in the stretch from the 16th to the 17th where we talked about maybe one of them would come back. And so we went with another tight end at that decision point. You talked about the running backs that didn't make it back here towards the end and taking Ritter. Some of the names that didn't even get drafted that we weren't really considering clear targets. I mean, Jeff Wilson just lands on IR, so he comes off the board. That's part of what pushed 
some of the other interesting names up higher. DJ Chark, you mentioned, is one. Oh, he did go in this draft. I'm still seeing He went two picks queue. later. Yeah. Got it. Um, oh, my queue has not, didn't update because I stepped away. So at any rate, uh, a couple of the other names I was going to mention did go very late as well. Gus Edwards, Tank Dell, some guys that you do see go. They did go at the very end. Um, Curtis Samuel never did go. There are a couple guys still in this room that you typically see come off the board that didn't, but they weren't necessarily uh, fits for our roster. And then the ones that were kind of the upside swings, are this room went for them. And so, yeah, you'll find yourself in those rooms. Even Justice Hill, shot goes in the 18th round. He might be a threat to Gus Edwards. I kind of like that decision to take him over Edwards. Some people have been on Edwards this offseason. I haven't uh, been as excited about that. But Hill looked great this preseason. Somebody, obviously, that you have been a big fan of in the past. I love it. It's never helped at all, but I love it. Yeah, he's still he's still fun guy to watch. He had a great preseason. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Sean. I think – I mean, one of the things I love about this team, if, if I can just – have a moment is the symmetry through nine rounds. If you look at it on a board, it goes wide receiver, wide receiver, running back, running back. We get the tight end in the middle and then running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver on the other side. It's a perfect little palindrome in the first nine rounds, but it is sort of what we have talked about structurally is to hit the receivers early and to go into the other picks in that, in the dead zone and then go back to the receiver depth and being able to get Traylon Brooks, Quentin Johnston and Rashad Bateman at 10 4 was a really key part of this build. I, I feel a lot better about this team because of those three picks and because of the five wide receivers we have. It justified the DeAndre Swift pick in the seventh round. It allows this whole thing to kind of come together. There is a part of the, of the you know, Sean, if you look at, you know, what might we have done different, this or that, there is a part of it that you can go back to the James Cook pick in the sixth. I mean, knowing now that, you know, JSN and Pickens and Judy were all going to go before they came to the seventh and we were going to want DeAndre Swift in the seventh. Maybe you say, hey, yeah, it would have been nice to just take James Cook there. Or excuse me, Jackson Smith and Jigba over James Cook there in the sixth. But then also, you know, the, for the flip side of that, knowing what we know about getting Burks, Quinn Johnson and Bateman, I don't think I actually agree with that. I, I really like the way that we get all four of these receivers and still get to five really strong, excuse me, four running backs and five really strong receivers. It's interesting, too, because, I mean, you can run into the trap of developing an idea early on and then kind of relying on that idea too much as the entire draft season develops. And certainly if parts of the thesis are removed, you want to be willing to get off of that. One of the things that has been interesting recently is that the Sam Howell play people are starting to embrace. I don't think that much has changed for me other than the worst case scenario of not winning the starting job is now out. But there are still, you know, there's a very wide range there. But that's kind of all set up to say that the most exploitable way to play the 2023 season for me has always been through Jalen Waddell and to a tag of Iloa. Now this could very easily be a famous last words <laughs> kind of statement where, you know, they play the first month and are fine, but don't, you know, don't separate you in any way, shape or form. But when you look at what Tua did when he was healthy last season, 
the difference between what he does and what Joe Burrow, who goes at the end of round four, and Justin Herbert, who go who goes, you know, middle of round five, certainly Trevor Lawrence, middle of round seven. And it's not to say that like just what those guys did last year is the only relevant point, but the scoring ranges that you have for those three players who are more expensive is just going to be very, very similar to the scoring range that you get from a healthy Tua. And so from that perspective, having him there where, and we had talked about we wanted Marvin Mims or maybe even Rasheed Rice, even though that's more controversial now, perhaps. But both of those guys were gone. And, I mean, we picked him instead of A-Chain. A-Chain and Spears, Kendra Miller, those three backs, I think, are interesting picks who come off after him. But you're basically looking at this draft and saying, Everyone who comes off after Tua is almost a lottery ticket type of play. And one of the things that JJ and I talked about on his show a little bit is just, you know, how overly confident we are in double digit picks and how they tend to not actually contribute. And it's not to say that you shouldn't be very intentional with those selections. And I think that that's one of the kind of fun things about what we did do in the double digit rounds. But you've got to be realistic about what the expected value is from those picks. In that context, when you can take Tua after every player that you think is a meaningful pick in your draft and other drafters, I mean, he's the QB 12. Everybody else has addressed their QB position before that. If my thesis comes to fruition, and it's not guaranteed to, but I think that, that again, the evidence for it is pretty strong. That's a huge competitive advantage. And so I like that, especially with being able to get Jared Goff to go with it and giving you that other shot where you know, either of those two guys could break out. I mean, Goff has a profile that, you know, again, as you mentioned quite frequently, is heavily predicated on just putting up a huge passing numbers. But this offense is set up to do that from time to time. So you've got a matchup-based play as well as a breakout-based play I really like the elite QBs. It's just kind of like the the zero RB element back, you know, before the you know this year, maybe before last year, where people are like, "Oh, you must not like running backs." Like, no, I mean Jamal Charles and those guys you absolutely love, but there are structural reasons why you kind of need to go in a different direction. I love the star QBs. I mean, I love Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, but I I just think that the board and the overall way that scoring works when you're trying to be humble about your roster and giving yourself enough depth to be competitive all season long. And it's, it's not just people getting hurt either. You're going to have some guys underperform and some guys outperform. You want to get to weeks 15 through 17 and the guys that you were starting, those six players in the two running back, two wide receiver and the two flex, those guys are absolutely on fire, on fire, right? They're not just guys who can score. I mean, you want them to be six legitimate stars at that point. If you just draft six, I mean, your chances of having the right group is is very limited. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about the ways that the, the points add up, I mean, we're not expecting Jared Goff to score with Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, and Patrick Mahomes, but that's one roster spot. As you're pointing out, we're going to be strong. The idea with this late-round quarterback build is to be very strong at those six spots, and actually seven when you bring in the tight end spot as well, the two running back spots, the two receiver spots, the two flex spots and tight end. And we got Kyle Pitts and we expect him to be a very important part 
at QB, if we're averaging 18 points a game or something like that, and we're going up against 30, Jalen Hurts, we're, we're giving up 12 points. That's a lot of points. That's a bad scenario for us. That means we didn't do very well at QB, and we're facing you know elite quarterbacks basically every week. Or you know if we're giving up 12 points, say, um, say we're we're scoring 15 and we're going up against 27 or whatever. Um, I mean, you could make it 14, right? But then there's seven other roster spots that we're talking about trying to win across, and and we're trying to win two points per spot or something like that. You're not going to win every single other spot, but if you're really strong, I mean, one of those spots, the last flex spot, if you're winning the flex and you have a star in that spot can gain you those 12 points back alone, right? I mean, you that's the idea of the depth and having enough firepower at all the other spots. The point is not for Jared Goff or Tua to be able to match what Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen or Patrick Williams can do. It's for your roster to outscore another roster. And your whole point there is not taking those quarterbacks high gives us a much stronger ability coupled with what that other great point you just made about the overconfidence that we're going to be right on a lot of these picks. It's, it's humility-based drafting. We say it year after year on the show to take a lot of players. I mean, we always talk about the zero RB strategy and the really wide receiver heavy builds. And people love to say that's such an arrogant thing. And we're, ah, we're so cocky with our receivers and truly it's the opposite. It is us saying, we can't just pick the four receivers that are going to be great and are going to go into our starting lineup all year. We need to have six or seven of them. We're not going to be right. We're going to have misses. We're going to have busts. We're going to have injuries. And then, you know, we'll take late round running backs or what have you. We're playing things a little bit differently this year, but it has always been that that idea of redundancy has always been that, you know, goes hand in hand with that concept of humility based drafting and the understanding that you can't just expect to get every player right. And call that a strategy. That's just not, I mean, if you want to draft hundreds of teams and, and make a whole bunch of different combinations and just hope you run into something and your player takes are really strong, that's a that's fine. So be it. Go for it. But certainly if you're only drafting a few dozen or less, five, one, one team, you want to be able to come up with some type of structure or some type of strategy where you are mitigating the potential risks and understanding that things aren't going to go exactly perfect. You're not going to have the perfect combination of league winning players. And so th that's what we're always talking about on the show. And that's what the strategy this year as well is built and, and thought through to do. It's to hit the, the pockets of the different positions at the spots that allow you to put a combination of players together. That is the most firepower, the most potential league winners and, um, difference makers and, and impact pieces so that when you're wrong about a bunch of these players, you still have enough to fill all those spots and make a difference. And so, yeah, I mean, when I stepped away, Sean, I just for the listeners, you, you obviously know this, but I, I had to run to my kid's school for a quick little meet and greet less than a half hour. I was back no time, but as I was driving over there, I was thinking about the Jared Goff pick. You mentioned him as, as his ceiling. And I was just like, man, I I'm excited to play Jared Goff, double stacks with Jamison Williams and Amon Ross St. Brown in the shootout. I mean, you get there and the Lions can score 35 a game and they can have a game where Amon Ross catches nine passes and has 110 yards and scores and Jamison Williams catches two long touchdowns in the same game, right? And they're both stars and Jared Goff throws three or four touchdowns and 300 plus yards because he throws 50 times because they're in a track meet in the fantasy playoffs. So, 
yeah, I mean, this is a fun team. We're set up to to really maximize the ceiling. You obviously already talked about the Tua and Waddle elements of that. Now we also have a Ritter and 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 Pitt stack built in. As like as I come back from my little meet and greet, I'm excited to find out about. Look, if Pitts hits, Ritter's gonna hit. I mean, that's just the deal. I think uh, I, I love adding Ritter to any Pitts pick because you know the Pitts pick comes with a lot of. Arthur Smith related, our Atlanta Falcons related questions. But if he's a star tight end this year, then that means a lot has gone right for Ritter as a 19th round pick. So I really like that pick as well, Sean. That could be a real upside pick as well. So um, fun team, fun team overall. As you were talking about some of these things that can happen with the QBs and the receivers, it reminded me of a a playoff, a fantasy playoff game. A little over a decade ago now where josh mccown not the most likely suspect lit it up to alshon jeffrey and turned yeah. out to be very <laughs> meaningful for me you and, look at the schedule brandon marshall and martellus bennett i remember this yeah this is when you uh when you won the, the title but that was a fun bears team it was a concentrated team he had, he was carrying multiple fantasy relevant pieces We've got Miami versus the Jets in week 15. We're hoping for that to be a shootout. We don't have Garrett Wilson on this squad, but obviously we have lots of places. And then, I mean, if Miami absolutely lights it up that week, it will be tough to go away from them when they play at home the following week against Dallas. But, I mean, you have Detroit at Minnesota. You're in a dome. You're chasing Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. And the following week, you're at Dallas chasing CeeDee Lamb and Dak Prescott. And there's some potential for these guys to put up some points in the fantasy playoffs. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that is incredibly exciting. They're, they're also at home. Week 15, they get the Broncos. Not quite as exciting. But, yeah, I mean, three straight dome games for the Lions to close things in the fantasy playoffs. I mean, you almost wish we would have taken Laporta too and just had every line we could get on this roster. Yeah, it it is fun. Hopefully we have the right guys started in the right games. Hopefully all of this is relevant in the end. I just do want to say too, we talked a little bit as we were drafting, we ended up getting the tight end 23, 25, 30. I'm pretty skeptical about the tight ends from Dallas Goddard to Hunter Henry at tight end 23 i mean this is the way it should be wherever you like the pockets of value on your board that's who you should pick and so you should be happy after a draft that you pick the guys that you have labeled as targets but i do think there is a an exploitable area late in drafts in tight end premium and so you know if you get behind or in our case you know you have one but you want some depth and there are some potential issues i would just encourage listeners but unless they have a clear target, and if you have a clear target, go after that guy. If you don't, be aware that there are some players late. You don't have to chase. You don't have to burn tight end picks in this area from, say, round 7 to round 13. Go ahead and feel comfortable using those picks on non-tight ends. You're going to have some options late. You don't want to – I mean, even if it's just one pick, like we say, as you go through those rounds there, you, just, you can't afford to throw away a selection that could be – become something meaningful yeah i mean there's just not that much difference between like tight end 
I don't know, 10, 10 and 12, Titan 14. I don't know really where the number is, but let's just say Titan 14 and like Titan 30. I mean, and genuinely, it's it's a it's one large group of of tight ends. Those guys at the back, we took Hunter Henry, Michael Mayer, and Trey McBride. But I mean, Kate Otten, that guy can like, especially with Russell Gage out now, like he could end up being viable, running a ton of routes on a bad offense, like we were talking about with McBride, but um certainly potentially viable. Tyler Conklin went. Uh, Gerald Everett goes pretty late. Irv Smith goes late. Dawson Knox is back here. I don't really think he's going to get enough routes. Isaiah Likely goes back here. If something were to happen to Mark Andrews, he's like a perfect tight end handcuff type. There are a lot. I've seen Dulcich go incredibly late now with some of the concerns surrounding his routes. Um, and I think he certainly makes sense at a certain point. In this draft, Sean, Gesicki didn't even get drafted. We talked about how the Patriots only carried the two tight ends. It's possible that Gesicki actually still hits a little bit on his upside scenarios. Logan Thomas doesn't get drafted, so no Washington tight end got drafted. Um, there are several other – Noah Fant didn't get drafted. They're like – not saying that all these guys are going to be great or anything, but I – it ultimately isn't that much different than some of the plays in the in the earlier rounds. You know, Dulcich is a great example as one that was going in those rounds. And then as soon as we saw, oh, man, he's not actually going to run that many routes, or it seems like that's a scenario, a possibility. He started going in like the 19th in some of the drafts. And we, I've seen him that late. Um, he goes in the 12th here. So, I mean, he still can sometimes be, be anchored into that range that he used to go in, but... You can see him fall several rounds from there. There's going to be other tight ends that have gone in those ranges that are going to wind up not actually running enough routes to be relevant. It's how the position's played. Not all these guys are going to wind up being good picks, but you can hit it with volume like we did late, even though we took pits. Um, I mean, that that's like a better way to play tight end is to take four shots later than to take one that you're really confident in that is like a Tyler Higby or something like that in the ninth round. Exactly. And as I was listening there, I don't know if it comes through on the mic, but my cat is usually a very passive listener to the podcast, not a participant, but she was definitely punctuating some of those points. She agrees with you strongly at tight end. Ben, this was a lot of fun. I can't wait to see. I, every time we do a main event draft, it gets me super fired up for the start of the season. It's only a handful of days away now. Hopefully everyone enjoyed this special edition of Stealing Bananas. That's going to do it today, but I did want to mention that I selected a couple of winners in the review contest. It's always a little bit awkward in terms of saying the the names or the handles that are there for the reviews, but Chandler and the Achievers were the two winners of the drawing. We had such a great response and there were so many fantastic reviews that, uh, for me, just really touching in terms of, of what people wrote. But I wanted to take it beyond that as well. So I've actually pulled three additional names. I'm going to be doing something. I mean, it won't be the same thing, but something with those names as well as I figure out you know, what is reasonable here with a week to go before the season starts. And kind of as I figure that out, we'll also be naming those. But again, thank you to everyone who participated in that. We're going to do a couple of $350 fantasy pros teams and, and hope to, to win the $1 million. So everyone who participated again, I thank you so much. It was really cool. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at yards per Gretch. 
We referenced his cut down day stealing signals post frequently throughout the show, but it's only one of many fantastic pieces that I've had the pleasure of reading in the last several weeks and certainly even in just in the last couple of days. Make sure you get over there, subscribe to Stealing Signals, subscribe to Stealing Signals Gold. Ben will have more info for you on that if you have your interest peaked. But I mean, if you get to get in there and do some YouTube questions with Ben himself, I mean, there's there's a lot I'd be willing to pay for that one. So make sure you get signed up there. Also, Stealing Lines, the betting project with Dalton Cates. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. The coupon code is RV Radio 2023 at checkout. 10% discount on the one-year subscription. We love you guys. Talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.